good evening now let's go to the next episode where we talk or we have already spoken about the idea of uh dragoon dragoon or dragu i don't know how it's pronounced but he's an argentinian writer who is critical of the peronist regime we must remember that peron uh actually is accused of rigging the elections he's also uh, a kind of a dictator but they he manages to actually win the people over with his wife evita peron right but uh, what we spoke about maybe 2 days ago was that the argentinian economy uh actually suffered very badly in the peronist era and argentina was uh, almost a leading nation before that and this acquisition of uh, a lot of money being laundered and taken to the united uh, to the uh, to europe right and of course huge and grand holidays that uh, both uh, juan and evita peron uh, organized but after peron evita peron passes away isabella peron and juan peron passes away isabella peron takes on yeah and that's uh, the peronist party is still around and the the play is actually trying to address all these things now it's also anti communist uh play comes from melos is an anti communist play it's talking about the cia back back coup which over uh, through gautamela uh, gautamelan president jacobo arbenets in 1954 drago also experimented with formal techniques in stories to be told he used songs dialogues and mime in a succession of one act plays to explore the dehumanizing effects of materialism right i think uh, in the last episode we talked about him and brecht uh yeah i don't know whether it's possible to really talk about brecht and him because uh, uh brecht is european but what important is he takes on a european author and uh perhaps or he perhaps hasn't and maybe he's actually uh i don't know very much about him but perhaps he's actually taken on this idea of uh material materialism and the whole idea of a critique of materialism and the critique of the united states of course brecht does that with a very deliberate kind of marxist uh position and of course here in spite of the government being uh, pro left or at least pretending to be left uh, he is they are actually have a critique of the government another playwright who used classical settings was this person called virgilio pinera and uh, he is talking about the the kind of a happy face to or a cheerful face of cuba 
right? And he has this Electra uh, Gerico, right? Which is an absurd display and a parody of Sophocles' Electra. Okay, it's supposed to have black humor. And we talked about Isius, that is Jesus, who's a barber and who's put to death because people think that he's a messiah. And he says, no, I'm not the messiah. And he's put to death. So you, you can remember Borges' three versions of Judas, right? And we also remember Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator, where The Great Dictator uh, and the barber look very much alike. And the, the barber is, uh, actually impersonates the great dictator and gives his famous uh, speech at the end of the uh, movie. Now we have Peru, which has, after about 50 years of what uh, Sebastian Dogat calls uh, theatrical stagnation, uh, it comes up with a person called Sebastian Salazar Bondi and uh, he begins writing a play a plays with nationalist interest right and he's also uh, regarded very highly uh, and you get this farce which he has which is called love the great labyrinth okay and then he also deals with his, uh, historical drama and Salazar's bon Salazar Bondi was also a noted poet and with all the other Latin American dramatists saw Joanna, the ability to combine theatrical work with poetry and prose fiction was something that Salazar Bondi had. Okay, so we get a whole lot of Latin American writers who write plays, poems and fiction and that characterizes them as different from uh, a lot of English and European writers who specialize in only one genre uh, or they're successful in only one genre but Latin American literature you have people like Octavio, Octavio Paz, Fuente and Yossa who are not identified as playwrights but we have a play in this collection uh, by the volume edited by Dogart Rappuccini's Daughter, which is a play by uh, Octavio Paz. Paz was a Nobel laureate, not that I care too much for Nobel laureates, and there are hundreds of Nobel laureates all around the place. Yossa is also uh, a Nobel laureate, if I'm not wrong, and he, he was very recently made a Nobel laureate. Paz is a central figure in contemporary Latin American literature. He was born in 1914 in Mexico where he grew up. He fought in the Republican side of the civil, Spanish Civil War and moved to the United States in 1943. In 1945, he joined the Mexican Diplomatic Service, which led to extensive travel. In 1950, Paz shot to international literary fame with his essay on Mexican character and culture, The Labyrinth of Solitude. Right, so, uh, so five years later, he published a seminal essay on poetics, the bow and the liar. Uh, of course, one of the important things to remember Paz is he's come to India, he's got this poem on the elephant caves, right? He's also got a book which is called The Monkey Grammarian, which is about Hanuman, 
right and uh, so he's he's really uh, he knows india in a different kind of manner with yeah so you have uh, him there and he's an important and interesting kind of poet also he gathered together mexican writers and artists including the painter leonora carrington and set up the experimental theater group poetry out loud the group rejected realism instead defining theater as a kind of a game and produced eight programs of plays ranging from greek and spanish classics to modern mexican works the most notable of which was rapuccini's daughter the only play written by paz which we have right so one of the interesting things is they are thinking of uh, the theater as a play as a kind of a game yeah which is not an old idea and i think uh, it's also important to remember that this idea of uh, life being to pass your time and this is just a game and we all playing and passing our time is a something that we get post existentialist when we have people like samuel beckett uh, now you have uh, poetry out loud is a group who also gave elena garo her big career break by producing a play the lady on a balcony right so you have a female dramatist who's also giving a break because of this poetry out loud a poetic and disturbing portrayal of an elderly woman haunted by the illusion of a past illusions of a past garo's imaginative use of physical images to depict external realities made her a leading mexican dramatist of the 60s and the 70s so the idea of images and images used in poetry and the idea of the poet in the theater and uh, all literature being poetic because of the use of figurative language flowery language not really flowery language but i mean i think flowery is the wrong word but imaginative language uh, symbolic language and uh, the idea of metaphor uh, so that's what is important in a lot of uh, latin american plays uh, of course unfortunately we read them in translation but i don't think we lose much because the translation done uh, by uh, whoever has done the translation for rapuccini's daughter and the night of the assassins is important right now we get a very important idea from theater out poetry out loud when we do the assassins and the idea is that uh, we have playing it out right and you have uh, if all of you have read the play right everybody is in a different role throughout the play right and uh, they are given different roles or they take up different roles and they talk from different positions which is very very interesting and a new kind of drama and also it cuts back to the pre-columbian uh the pre uh spanish and portuguese or pre-european past of latin america where the skin of the actor another actor would come into his skin or whatever that was right of course the actor would be put to death that was in pre european times and that was part of rich the the religious rituals but things change after that
Okay, so the symbi- symbiosis of prose fiction and theatre is best illustrated by the work of uh, uh, Gautamelian born Miguel Angel Astur- Asturias, winner of the 1967 Nobel Prize for Literature. Right, so we've got quite a lot of Nobel laureates. Uh, three of them are here uh, Asturias, uh, then you have Paz, you have Yossa. Yeah, and Marquez, right? So uh, that's not really a big characteristic of uh, of writing. Whether you get a Nobel Prize or not, you have great uh, literature writers who have never got a Nobel Prize. So that's a different story. But it's interesting to note that there's so many uh, Nobel Prize winners from Latin America and. uh it's probably because they have a very troubled kind of uh, government and uh, the politics is very volatile and the life also is very fast and uncertain which we talked about in the very very first lectures that we had winner of the, uh, yeah uh, he is best known for his novels mr president and men of mills and his anthropological study of Gautamelian legends but he also wrote four plays in which he combined fantasy and psychology the modern and the mythical so luna for example is a dream play which starts as a naturalistic drama and is then transformed by mask music and dance into a ritual spectacle of pre-columbian magic right so uh, rapuccini's daughter again goes to this idea of the tarot card and uh, the messenger comes with the tarot card and it goes all into this mystical kind of fruit and uh, the idea of getting consumed with aroma of the flowers and flowers of death and flowers of life okay and the the young student who is taken over right so you get a lot of that also in bohezes uh the rose of paracelsus and uh many other short stories of his uh yeah so you have the alf you have the rose of paracelsus then you have uh the balcony yeah uh it, that's also an interesting short story i forgot who has written it but it's it's interesting largely because the whole idea of the the division between the mystical the magical the real uh, and the dream are all broken down and what is the dream becomes the reality and what is reality becomes a dream and what is reality becomes a game and uh, so the characteristics of things are uh, actually shifted now we come to an important part again from 1959 to 1980 right and i think that's very close to uh, the time uh, where uh, we all come into the world and exist right uh, maybe some of you are born after 1990 but from 59 to 1980 is an important uh, change in the year in the in the world because uh, a lot of things are settling down 
uh, and a lot of things are getting unsettled also because in 1980 we have the famous killing of uh, of uh, Oscar uh, Oscar Romero, right? Who is uh, in San Salvador? And I think we've told you about this again and again that at his funeral, uh, six priests and six, uh, three priests and three nuns are also put to death, right? Six people are put to death, and that's when. 1959 to 1980, there is no kind of middle of the road kind of position that uh, people in Latin America can take, right? And uh, it's very, very complicated, and uh, there are a lot of churning out which is taking place over there. These were the most fertile years thus far in Latin American theater, marked by an unprecedented achievement in both quality and volume. The number of locally written plays produced increased, increased sharply during this period. For example, well, only 40 Cuban plays were put on in Havana between 1952 and 1958. Okay, 40, right? Uh, well, that's a lot of plays. Uh, 281 were staged in 1967 alone. All of the region, new playwrights were seen, were seeing their work produced and were attracting international, critical, and public acclaim. Yeah, it, it makes us wonder why Latin American plays are not popular as in Latin America, right? And uh, one is because of the language, and we find that the theater is such an important part of their life. It is not like. Uh, like it is for us, okay, in pockets of India, maybe the theater is an important part of life. The Gujarati Pasi theater is the only kind of theater that's living, but it, I don't know if it lives in Gujarat, but it definitely lives in Bombay. Uh, you have uh, Marathi theater in, in Pune. Uh, there's quite a lot of Marathi theater, which is live and going on. And in Bengal, you also have theater. Of course, a lot of it is influenced by Brecht, right? And very much like uh, you have this, uh, uh, these playwrights were talking about the Greek past and uh, Latin America. We have one of the minsters, he was not a minster when he wrote the play, called, uh, I don't know what his name is, uh, he was a finance minister or something of the sort or important minister in uh, Mamta's uh, parliament, uh, in, in Mamta's uh, government, sorry for saying parliament, right? But what is interesting over there is he writes a play called Hamlat, right? Which is about India and is based on Hamlet. And it's not for uh, the upper class people, it's shown on the street and it's jealous with the lower class people also, right? So, when we are talking about the idea of playwrights and you have plays which are put up, and that's something important, the 281 plays are put up in 18, 1967, that's in one year, you have so many plays, right? Uh, all of the region, new playwrights were seeing 
their work produced and were attracting international critical and public acclaim these plays grew out of a period of confrontation and transition right we talked about how latin american uh, drama right from uh, so joana were uh, riddled with this idea of critique right so you have that as a part of the musical performance which is a critique of the play and of society which is what literature is supposed to be right and that's exactly uh, so we have a lot of confrontation we have a lot of uh, transition yeah and we keep moving into all different kinds of direction in 1959 cuban revolution encouraged people throughout the region to believe that political transformation could overcome social inequalities corruption and us imperialism the catholic church gave its support to social change and gustavio gustavio guterres and his theology theology of liberation inspired paulo paulo ferris and others to set up base communities to transform society from the grassroots yeah i think i've talked enough about uh, paulo ferri and of course his book is still a very important book uh, the other day when i was in chikmangalore i was just talking to my cousin who uh, did his agriculture uh, i think he did his agriculture in the philippines and that was in marcos's reign and one of the important books that was uh ban was uh pedagogy of the press and paulo freire's books were banned right which is very interesting and i i was really surprised that uh this is what happened right because i i couldn't imagine that this is what actually happened and uh i asked him i said uh then how did you read the book or did you read the book and then he said no i thought it's just out so i said no i i come to know about the book and i come to know about freddy in about 79 so he said well this was uh, a little before that and after that right somewhere there uh, so freddy is important and gutierrez is important uh, freddy is no more gutierrez might be there right but uh, uh, what is interesting and what is important is uh, uh, paulo freddy's method of social transformation is a very painful kind of process that is talking to people and he talks about something called education be cultural action for freedom it's not somebody coming with an ideology and telling you what is to be done but freddy's idea is asking for reasons why things are so he keeps asking people why do you think this is so what is the kind of action and he's a very important kind of social action person because when he's talking about leadership and i think one of you one of you were had a problem with the idea of uh, the idea of uh using violence for taking social action right now whether a person uses action or doesn't use action is a kind of a group decision that uh, they take right 
and based on the group decision they decide who's going to be the leader next time okay and who is going to act and what other uh, the things that they've learned from the action right and Freddy is largely remembered for his model which is called action re reflection action and his dialogical method so that's very important and the question is when we talk about Paolo Freddy we're talking about this space of the teacher and the student being demolished right the idea is the leader and the lead right being demolished it's the leader is only a person who organizes for a meeting to take place and the leader doesn't become any more important than that and he has to take a back seat after that okay the leader doesn't own the group the leader doesn't do anything he's uh, the idea of leadership itself is questioned by Freddy and is given a different kind of dynamic because the idea of a leader the who is a leader should we elect a new leader for the next activity that we have that's what is uh, something that he does right of course when he writes his cultural action for freedom the book cultural action for freedom he says that it's going to apply only to Brazil okay he says that it doesn't work anywhere else but what happens and interestingly what happens is it's used by a lot of people who believe in social action in India right of course many of them uh, are thrown into jail during the emergency and now some of them are called urban axers and all those kinds of very uh, very uh, insignificant kinds of terms which the people who are using are not aware of uh, what is being done or if I give them the benefit of the doubt the people have coined all these terms like urban axel and use them very unthinkingly like anti-national urban axel uh, these are terms which are used unthinkingly and when you think about all that we, we keep wondering what happens to the poor and the oppressed which is what Paulo Freire and Guterres keep talking about right and liberation theology as you know is about reading the Bible from a Marxist kind of perspective is not only reading the Bible it's talking about the Christian community or the Catholic community and it's actually a critique of the church because the church is pro-capitalist right and the, the Christ in the Bible and the Bible itself is actually talking about God for the poor right so the big kind of contradiction which is uh, exposed and of course uh, a lot of it unfortunately is with guns and uh, a lot of these people like Camilo Torres uh, says well we can't draw a line and he goes and joins the guerrillas and on the first day he is killed right so we have that bit which is important and from 1959 to 1980 there are a lot of killing in Latin America there are a lot of killings which come up by thinking people right and the other one uh, of course uh, Camilo Torres is a priest who is killed before Che Guevara right but here they also talk about a person called uh, Che Guevara but aspirations from a region-wide revolution died with Che Guevara and public expression of political opposition were met with violence right so one of the things that happens and very sadly that happens 
with American aid, though they try to push the blame onto the Bolivian dictator whom they themselves had set up, right? So you'll find that on documentaries of Che Guevara, right? And Che is uh, thought about as a kind of a revolutionary, yeah? Uh, you can be, you can listen to Hastas and Pere, right? And maybe I can put it up on an episode, right? Because that's a kind of a song uh, that is important because it's actually celebrating uh, Che Guevara as a young uh, medical student who gives up his life. You can see the motorcycle diaries or read the book, right? Uh, you must, I think you might like to watch the movie, right? So Che Guevara is a young medical student who is an upper class of Spanish origin, right? And then he and his friend, they go on uh, the motorcycle, right? From one part of Latin America to the other, right? And the uh, La Pedrosa is a motorcycle, right? Yeah, and uh, that's very important. But what is important is the Che takes the side of the poor. Che is a revolutionary who is not a politician. He doesn't have anywhere to go. And then he lives in the jungles of Bolivia and Argentina. And he's crossing or he's living in jungles all the time, right? And it's not easy to live in a Latin American jungle because you have the tree frog, you have uh, snakes, which are very deadly. Right? You have insects which sting and bite and you can die of the sting, right? Uh, so all those kind of things, uh, he's... And uh, of course, what's unfortunate and ironical is that uh, he's put up everywhere, even on t-shirts and cups and all that kind of thing. And he becomes a big and important kind of revolutionary for the Cubans that uh, Franco... Uh, of uh, uh, no, what's his name? Uh, Castro is uh, probably not very comfortable with Che around, right? Yeah, so, so that's when Che actually doesn't have anywhere to go. So he's uh, a wanderer and he's trying to have a good revolution, which is what the, the Marxists want all the time. And the kind of dream, or the dream is about having a revolution, yeah? Which I don't know whether it makes any sense because uh, what happens with the revolution? What happens with the revolution is a revolution just inverts the power structure and very often you get uh, the same kind of people in power again. Okay, of course that's not happened with Cuba. Cuba, uh, of course, you had this man called Castro and he's one of the great uh, leaders who's been there before Kennedy, right? and right up till very recently, right? So they met, they, he stood against the, uh, the United States very strongly, just right outside them, as a small little person, and they could have actually got rid of him, right? And when you have the great Berlin Wall speech of Kennedy, uh, and the whole idea of the Cuban missiles, uh, and the, the lowering uh, the Cuban missiles, and they make big talk about it, you know how politicians do that, they make big, uh, big uh, talk about what achievements they've got with the enemy or, okay, and that's uh, the time when you had a lot of Cold War politics and 
uh, what is important is the Cubans missiles were lowered after the Americans lowered their missiles. Right, so that's what we've come to know today, and uh, that's very very interesting that uh, this man could stand against the United States very boldly and without any problem. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so you have the idea of the base community. You have the the idea of the revolution becoming Saw, right? And you can listen to Che Guevara's son uh, Ortiz Perez, right? You will find him in a BBC interview on the YouTube. And what is interesting about that is you'll also see that when you find him over there. He says he doesn't know that Che is his father because uh, I think his mother had a short marriage with Che and his mother never told him that Che was his father and he's already grown up and he's an artist and a writer and a novelist, right? And uh, he says, well, so what if Che was my father, right? I'm not going to change my ideology. I'm not going to change my thinking. I'm not going to change anything of sort. And when somebody asked him about the Cuban Revolution and the Che took part in it, he says, well, it's 50 years since the revolution is over. And they talk, just like we talked about this person who is very critical about the, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Pinera, right? Who's critical about, uh, uh, yeah, the Cuba, Cuba's uh, social movement, yeah? Uh, he says, well, they make much of the revolution one year after the revolution, two years after the revolution, ten years after the revolution, thirty years after the revolution. He said, what for? Right? Yeah. So the question is, the revolution is long over and revolutions are normally meant to last for a short time. Of course, they change the face of things. Some of them are violent. Some of them are bloodless, like the internet revolution. Right? Nobody thinks of that as a revolution. But when we think of technology and technological revolutions, uh, social revolutions like feminism, which are not bloody, but actually talk about power and talk about how you overturn the balance, right? So all those things are very important also when we talk about Latin America, right? And the idea of what happens to a revolution, right? And what happens to people when they begin to say, well, the idea of a revolution is not even possible because we're up with a far stronger enemy that is the United States. It's not only fighting the local leader who is actually ruling the place. But the idea is that the local leader will call for help from the United States and they will get the CIA and uh, all the uh, spy networking is so good that they can actually uh, zero in on anybody and get them killed or get them uh, kidnapped, which is what happens to a lot of them. And that's what happens to Che. Uh, they, t uh, they get him shot off and they say, no, we didn't shoot him. The Bolivians were interested in killing him off, right? And that's not even true, right? Because, uh, oh, yeah, so, so they, they play that kind of a game, right? But what were they doing in Bolivia? That's a question that we have to ask, right? So uh, the, the United States politics and policies have always been 
very interfering and very corrupt, right? And now, of course, uh, they're getting it back with 9/11, and uh, I don't know about the uh, the virus just now. Authoritarian governments took control in Argentina and Peru. The Cuban revolution ossified. The USA implemented neurotic, anti-communist policies, and the Vatican retreated into the ultra-conservatism of John Paul's two papacy, uh, John Paul II's papacy. Against this turbulent backdrop, the theater often provided the only place where people could freely express their hopes for change. Right. So the political situation is very bad, and if you actually go and fight. There's only one answer: you'll be gunned down and killed, or your revolution will come to zero. So what happens is this is a kind of aspirational theater where your hopes are uh, sort of granted when you come into the movie space. Jose Triana ranks among the most significant writers of Latin American autonomous theater. Triana was born in Bayamo in 1932, studied in Cuba, and was inspired by Jose Marti as a student. Right? I think we talked about Jose Marti, right? And the the fact that he had to run away, right? And the same happens to uh, Triana, right? Yeah, Heredia, yeah, Heredia was one who had to run away, right? And yeah, so. We have uh, sorry, I, yeah, I think Jose Marti, yeah, yeah, it's Jose Marti Heredia, right? Uh, yeah, and uh, what happened is he had to run away, and uh, Triana is again uh, one of the people who take on after Marti and has to run away. He became a friend with Virgilio Pinera and was encouraged, and Hook encouraged him to publish his poem in Cuban. Literary magazines. Triana took an active stance against the Batista government, and following a number of failed rebellions, was forced into exile in Spain. Yeah, so we have Triana, who also has to leave Cuba, right? And he's taking a very important stand against the Batista government, which uh, Fidel Castro and all these people actually demolish. Right. Uh, he, when he became involved in the theater, saw many plays and started writing his own. He returned to Cuba after the revolution, and inspired by Pinera, uh, Pinera's Electra, Garico, completed Media in the Mirror. Right. So now, uh, Triana is uh, writing uh, Media in the Mirror. Yeah, and you know who's media? Media is a woman who helps Jason to get the golden fleece, right? Of course, when we studied her uh, in Greek uh, literature, right? Uh, well, she was looked at as a witch because she cuts up her children and uh, uses them to uh, to pass through the rocks, which are uh, these. Uh, Crush rocks which crush ships, right? So she she feeds the birds so that the birds come in and the rocks uh, move to kill the birds off, right? And then the ship passes where the rocks uh, 
move away, right? So all those kind of things she does, right? And media in the mirror, which placed classical tragedies figures in a humble Cuban setting. Uh, his fifth play, Night of the Assassins, is in social and political terms undoubtedly the most significant work of the period. Radis uh, started in 1957 and his play had its Havana premiere in 1965. It won the prestigious Casa de la Americas Award and was subsequently performed uh, throughout the Americas and Europe. It was an unsettling and complex work which elicited, uh, elicited many interpretations. Some took its 1950s setting as an attack on pre-revolutionary society under Batista. Others picked up on Lalo's last lines to argue that the play was a clarion call for the redemptive power of love, while the Cuban Ministry of Culture interpreted the play as a direct attack on the incompetence and complacency of Fidel Castro's government. This was indeed one of Triana's intentions and he was to suffer purely for it. Right? Yeah. Well, we know that we can't talk against the incompetence of our own government when uh, the uh, coronavirus is rough. Uh, I think, I don't know if anybody's been hauled up for that, but somebody might. The ministry judged him to be outside the revolution, denied him the resources to stage plays like war ceremonial and frolic on the battlefield and marginalized him from active cultural life. In 1980, Triana immigrated with his wife to Paris. Right? Now, the question of what happens with playwrights, what happens with novelists, what happens with poets, we find all that happening in a big way uh, all over the world, right? In 1980, Triana has to go to Paris and he's to leave Cuba and that's very unfortunate and very sad, right? Uh, when you have to leave your roots, your, your, the place that you're culturally in, because of political turmoil and of course that you have written a play which is a critique of the system, right? Which uh, governments which are not very secure would be uh, looked at as a threat, right? And this is was perhaps happening today in India. Uh, maybe 30 years ago that wouldn't have happened, or 40 years ago, 50 years ago that wouldn't have happened. Uh, I think we, mean, we need to think of a very important uh, editorial that appeared uh, in the Statesman or the Telegraph, I forget which, right? But was in interesting because it talked against Nero and it, it used this term that Caesarism is at the door and with a high critique of Nero, right? And the uh, the author was not known, right? And when everybody read the article, they said, well, it looks as if uh, this person has real guts. Imagine somebody challenging Nehru, right? And of course, Nehru had written it himself. And when I was in the 12th standard, uh, in the 12th standard, 
we have to study that as because there's something called higher english and lower english and uh, we had to take higher english because we had done uh, english for the 10th standard our medium of instruction was english so we had to take uh, this thing called higher english and uh, yes so uh, what is interesting is what happens when a person actually loves his country or her country and writes a critique of what's going on inside it right so that the idea is in a democracy uh, you have to be critical about the government and you have to tell the government what do you think about it so that the government can improve right so that kind of assurance that we had or they had uh, disappeared uh, largely today when we look back and we see how bad uh, what is called neo uh, liberalism is right we find that this is a disease that has gone to all over the world and slowly moving around all over the world right where the media is gagged uh, independent voices are gagged critics are gagged okay and you uh, they're gagged in a very new and interesting way in as much as they're bought over by uh, the people in power and we've heard of godi media and modia and all those kind of things which we have right but what is interesting is uh, what happens to the voices of people who are actually making a critique and they're doing making a critique from the point of view of uh, the society that they're in and they're also talking about the idea of uh, transforming the society because of a cultural critique right and theater has to be alive has to address political issues and has to address cultural issues right i think some time ago there was a play that was going to be staged over here and later it was called ulti why i don't know what was the real name right in our own faculty right and it was not given permission to be put up but i think in the journalism faculty and some other faculty science faculty maybe it was put up right and nothing there was nothing great or glorious about the play except that it was done very well by our students and that was as far as i was concerned about it okay but the question is why are people threatened by a play being put up yeah what is what happens when you put up a play right and we go back to judith butler where she says wherever this theater is politics and where there is politics this theater right uh now so that's uh uh important for us right and uh they're talking about gamro so we will do gamro in the next episode because it's already uh 47 minutes and i get only 60 minutes right yeah let's see yeah uh yeah there about 15 minutes let's see if i can do this otherwise uh we'll do it in the next episode right uh yeah i think we'll leave it for the next episode because we have to talk about uh, some more things which are important for us right